Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Great to be with you today. Our title uh, today is 10 Shortcuts Leaders Slash Pastors Need to Avoid, Part 1. So for several weeks, uh, you know, I spent time crafting a list of the most common shortcuts that leaders take. And actually, I ended up with a list of about 24. And I, you know, whittled it down into a blog uh, and, uh, you know, posted it a few months ago. But I said to myself, it was just so inadequate uh, because I wanted to spend some time actually exploring it. And so, uh, like J.R.R. Tolkien said many years ago, shortcuts make long delays. And uh, so I know them well. I've uh, I've done all these shortcuts and paid a price for them. So the way I wrote the blog was I, I actually picked the 10 top shortcuts that I take or I have taken as a leader, uh, but I did not include the ones that uh, I think have deeply gotten in my life that I don't take any longer. And actually... I explore those in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, and if I was making a generic list for everybody, uh, I would include the four inner life issues that I deal with in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. Uh, so, for example, a shortcut people take, people often take is they don't face their shadow. They have very low self-awareness because this takes too much time. Uh, the secondly is is not investing in one's marriage or singleness to be a sign of a wonder. Uh, the second major shortcut people take. Uh, the third is a way too uh, busy to nurture one's relationship with Christ and doing more activity for God than they're doing for God can sustain. And then the fourth shortcut people take is often just uh, not investing in a Sabbath rhythm uh, on a weekly basis, you know, a 24-hour period to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate God. So I will leave that for you to, you know, read through in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. Uh, and that's really the basis out of which that is built. But the ones I'm going to pick here are, are related, but they're different, and they're more specific, actually, uh, in the 10. So there's 10, so I'm going to cut it into two parts here. Uh, I'll deal with five today and five uh, in the next podcast. So let's begin with number one. Uh, the first shortcut that I see people taking a lot is, one, not leading uh, myself first. Uh, I've done that. I'm talking about having so much to do, uh, just failing to clarify my own goals and values in the midst of pressures and demands. Uh, it's just easy to be busy, run around and do a to-do list. It takes a lot of time to get clear on what are the priorities for a given day, a given week, a, a given quarter, a given year, and how do I best steward my my time, my energy, my gifts, my, my limits. Uh, the most difficult person to lead uh, for any of us is ourselves. Uh, I know I'm the most difficult person to lead uh, in my ministry uh, at New Life and Emotional and Spirituality. If, you, if you're familiar with systems theory, uh, which comes out of uh, the 1950s and was made popular, at least among clergy, uh, by uh, it was founded by Murray Bowen, was there actually the founder. And then a fellow named Ed Friedman, uh, who was a rabbi, actually wrote quite a bit on it, on systems theory applied to churches and synagogues. And he wrote a classic work called Generation to Generation, in which he did, he, he says the key to transforming a, an organization or a ministry or a church or a synagogue is the differentiation of the point leader. Uh, and that, that applies, okay, the point leader of an organization, but also uh, in your ministry. Because the most difficult person to lead is ourselves. And getting a clear sense of my self-definition, what am I about, what's God asked me to do, what are my values, and sticking to them. And staying connected to people at the same time, not cutting off from them. 
In other words, you're staying, you're not far from yourself, very much in touch with what's going on inside of you. But that that leading of myself first and leading of ourselves first is takes a lot of time. So I'm going to give an example. Like just resourcing yourself or resourcing myself uh, along the way is not urgent, but it's important. And so, for example, uh, I've had to over the years make sure I've got the right mentors spiritual directors, maybe therapists, whatever I need for this season in my life to help me move to the next stage. Uh, instead of, just, again, just doing, 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 but getting resource to become really all that God's called me to be. It, it takes time and it takes discipline, uh, again, to, to lead myself first. I had a conversation with a leader at New Life just this past week, and he was struggling with a new level of responsibility, and he was coming at it really negatively about, oh, I don't know if I can do this, and uh, you know, I'm overwhelmed. The job description is too big. I've never had this much on my plate before. And I realized he had a fixed mindset, uh, not a growth mindset. Uh, maybe I can recommend a book to you. It's called Mindset by uh, Carol Dweck. She's a professor at Stanford University. It sold over a million copies, very popular book, and it was recommended to me a couple of times. And I finally picked it up and read it a few months ago. And it's a simple thesis upon which the book is built. And it's basically this, that there's two basic mindsets in which we approach life. One is that I can learn things and grow and, and, and do them. It's a growth mindset. And so let's say, for example, I get a low SAT score. Uh, in high school or college and for GREs. And I say, well, I, I just stink at math and you know, I'll never be really good academically. And so I'm going to go into some other vocation. So it's that kind of a, that's a, that's a fixed mindset. I can't do it. Versus a growth mindset is, uh, oh, I'm not very good at math, but I'm going to work on it and I'm going to learn. And so my failures become stepping stones to actual growth. It reminds me of a, we had a Cambodian young woman in our church that flunked the uh, MCATs, the medical boards, uh, multiple times. And uh, she eventually after like a fifth or sixth time passed and became a doctor. But she just saw herself as, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eventually pass this test and become a doctor, and she did. Uh, it's, it's much like the, the great verse of David in 1 Samuel 17, where David says, when, Goliath, when the, Saul says to him, you can't do it, you're only a boy. And uh, he says, you know, just as I killed a lion and the bear uh, in the past, so I'm going to bring down this Goliath, uh, this Philistine in the name of the living God. And he just had an attitude like God met me in the past. I grew something. I grew past some things, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna go forward here. Uh, and I, I think again, I think of people who are are big are, are readers because uh, you're leading yourself first. You want to be resourcing yourself. Um, like I was talking to a church planter just recently about his life, and uh, we were just he, talking about he was overwhelmed by all the stuff coming at him. And uh, I, I said, you need to. Uh, grow right now in some new skills because you're church planting, you've got small children, you're financially tight, you've got tremendous pressure from the church. And so your rule of life of how you operate uh, in terms of nurturing yourself spiritually and staying anchored in Jesus is not adequate for where you are in this position in life right now. And some of you may be at a place in leadership uh, organizationally or in ministry that in the past you had certain structures, and again, I call it a rule of life, a way that you kept yourself anchored in Jesus, it's just not sufficient for where you are. And so you want to get resourced to lead yourself first by saying, what do I need in my life to, to do this well? And uh, so again, I, if you're familiar with a, a rule of life, and I encourage you, you know, check it out in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, uh, or Emotionally Spirituality, the, the course talks about this. I like to break up my life into four categories, prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And with Jesus in the center, the love of God, giving and receiving. 
And I've got to constantly reorient how I'm doing my life so I'm anchored in Jesus. And and so even now, you know, I, I'm not a, the lead pastor at New Life any longer. I, I lead emotionally healthy spirituality around the world. Uh, I, I still do some staff duties at New Life. I do some teaching, et cetera. But uh, I, I now actually have more coming at me than I did uh, earlier. And a good friend said many years ago that uh, a mentor, he said, listen, Pete, if you're godly, I was telling him how overwhelmed I was. I was in my mid-30s. He said, listen, if you're godly, you're going to be even more overwhelmed when you get older because more people will be pulling from you and looking to get a piece of your life. And I found that to be true. And uh, so it's not the fact that things are ever going to diminish in terms of demands. They will only increase if you're faithful to Jesus. The issue is growing and maturing with the responsibilities or the pressures that will come your way. Just imagine Jesus alone. And uh, and so you want, again, lead yourself first. Don't take that shortcut of saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm doing fine because you have so much to do. You don't even pay attention to your own growth and development. All right, that's number one. Number two. Uh, second uh, shortcut people take uh, is rushing. Uh, I like to call rushing. It's an oil light in a car dashboard saying something is wrong with the engine. And if you keep going uh, with that dashboard light blinking, 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 uh, you are going to blow the engine. Uh, so in other words, when I find myself rushing, when I see a person rushing, I ask myself and I ask the other person, what difficult thing might you be bypassing or what anxiety uh, am I carrying that I need to bring to God? I, I love Vincent DePaul's words. He says, he described the shortcut of rushing like this. The one who hurries delays the things of God. You know, the one who hurries delays the things of God. Listen, I'm a recovering Russiaholic, truly. I mean, I, I am a recovering Russiaholic. I mean, just two weeks ago, I was, uh, no, it was three weeks ago now, I was in the um, our offices at Emotionally the Spirituality, and I just I just fell back into, you know, Russiaholicness. And I, Jerry was in the other room and and I was just taking phone calls. I was trying to squeeze in, you know, three, four hours of work into two. And uh, I was just in a bad place. I could feel it in my body. But I, I had too much to do to stop and actually ponder it and analyze it. And so, you know, I just, I just did it. And uh, Jerry pointed out to me afterwards, she goes, are you in the car on the way home? She goes, are you aware of your tone of voice this afternoon? Um, how unenjoyable it was to be around you. And it was like, oh, you know, oh, oh. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I've been doing much better uh, in general, but it's interesting how much like an alcoholic, uh, I can fall back very easily. And I think I've learned the hard way that a lack of time is really a lack of priorities. In other words, when you find yourself, you don't have enough time. It's because you've not sat down enough uh, to really sort through what's important here. Uh, what's the most important thing? And again, it's such hard work. I mean, I'm going into a week right now. and You know, I spent a few hours on my week uh, because I needed to really focus and I'm committed to living a rhythmic, a whole, joyful life of abiding in Jesus. And that is no small task. Again, I'm the first person that I have to lead, uh, and I can't take a shortcut and skip that. And I don't want to take the shortcut of rushing because I really don't get much done anyway. And so I, I wish I could have you in this room with me right now, but I have a to-do list I do every week, and I try to you know set priorities for my, my days. And uh, again, I, I've always got way too much that I can do 
as I write it all down, and then I've got to sort out what am I not going to do here. And I and I basically always have a big leftover list that gets pushed to the next week. And you know, the principle of everything takes two to three times longer than we think. I, I, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I I've always found that to be true. I mean, now I'm into podcasting, and I'm finding out, my gosh, thinking through a podcast takes more time uh, than I imagined. Just like sermon, just like writing a blog. Um, leading, going into a meeting and doing a good job. But we get in trouble when we rush and we get a lot of other people in trouble when we rush, whether it's building renovations or new hires or new initiatives or letting somebody go, uh, or again, leading, I think of leading EHS, uh, rushing cuts and delays the things of God. All right, that's number three. Uh, third shortcut. So first shortcut, not leading yourself first. Second is rushing. The third is cheating on your time with Jesus. Cheating on your time with Jesus. In fact, the more skilled, gifted, and competent and experienced you are, the more easily you can do this and feel like, well, there don't seem to be any consequences. People are growing and no one seems to notice. But when we skim on our time with Jesus and scripture and prayer and silence, we hurt ourselves and we sure hurt the people that we serve. Again, just think for a moment with me of Jesus, 30 years uh, anonymous uh, with the Father hidden. Uh, John the Baptist, again, probably 30 years, you know, waiting on the Lord hidden uh, with the Father, comes out uh, with a word from God that shook, you know, Palestine. I think of Moses, 40 years in the wilderness to finally receive that burning bush and Commission from God to lead, you know, two to three million Israelites out of the out of the out of slavery. Again, I I meet people so gifted, uh, so gifted, so much vision, uh, more way more gifted than I am, and I I grow concerned sometimes, especially some of you who are listening who are young. Uh, it's just so easy uh, to ride by on your gifts, and uh, and if you've done it a lot, uh, you can get by. So the question is, how much time with Jesus do you need? Uh, and I would say the answer to that question is you've got to listen to your body, uh, listen to your inner spirit. So much depends on calling and temperament. Uh, you know, I think of myself, I, I mean, years ago, I was with a, 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 a very you know famous leader in the evangelical church, and we were chatting, and uh, he was describing his day, and it would start, you know, six, six in the morning, and he would go to like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And I just said to him, I just, I don't have the capacity to do that. Uh, I, I need a lot of time alone with God and, uh, or I'm dangerous. And I just had to respect the fact that I am not gifted or crafted, uh, built by God to lead a large organization like of 10, 20, 30,000 people. Uh, and uh, I need a lot of time, you know, with Jesus. And, but I don't put that on other people because other people do have different callings and uh, different ministries. But the question is, what do you need? And I know in my body when I'm doing more than my inner life uh, can sustain. And so again, you you may know the famous saying that we use in emotionally healthy spirituality, you cannot give what you do not possess. You can only give what you do possess. You know, I think it was two turning points in my sermons uh, over the decades. The first was when I I got into emotional health in 1996 and realized that emotional health and spiritual maturity can't be separated. Uh, that really changed, that really slowed me down and changed my sermons because I started really preaching from the inside out and spending a lot more time with God on how it was intersecting with my life. 
But the second was the, the, the really the exposure to monastic spirituality, silence, solitude, Sabbath, and paying way more attention to the word in me. Uh, I did my exegesis, but really slowed down significantly uh, time trying to get good illustrations and the sermon fitting together, trying to be clever. I just dropped it. And uh, I decided it was more important that, that I be with Jesus and that the word comes out of a fire in my bones than that I have a clever sermon. Clever sermons don't change people. So again, uh, is that a shortcut cheating on your time with Jesus that you've been taking? Uh, and is the Lord inviting you to slow that down? Uh, number four is shortcut that, that I see leaders take a lot, and I've taken it myself uh, often which in the past, which was not giving thoughtful preparation to meetings. You know, not giving thoughtful preparations to meetings. You know, it's easier to prepare a sermon and cast a vision than run a staff meeting. Uh, it's easier to take a shortcut for me and write on my gifts and, uh, you know, again, have a Bible study, you know, bring the word of God to people uh, in a meeting rather than avoid the hard work of prayerfully reflecting on what is God's purpose for this meeting. That's my history. My, for years, I had a separation, uh, a spiritual, secular separation that saw prayer and sermon prep and worship as way more important than doing budget and preparing for team meetings and staff meetings. And I, I like to call it was a secular sacred split. Uh, and I had to learn to integrate my spirituality with leading meetings. Uh, it's not a natural skill, it's a learned skill. You know, what's the purpose of this meeting? Praying and thinking about that. And if you don't have time to really think about what's the purpose of the meeting, then don't have the meeting. Now, there are some meetings that are check-ins, uh, other meetings are longer. You know, what do you need? Now, you can read about different types of meetings by, you know, Patrick uh, Linsoni, I think his last name is said, books like The Advantage, weekly meetings, quarterly meetings, some annual meetings. It depends on where you are in your ministry and the organization. So right now, for example, uh, at Emotionally Spirituality, we're having a lot of meetings because uh, we're doing a, we're a startup now of, of bringing this to the world. And so, uh the few of us in executive leadership here have spent, you know, three hours one day, a whole day, another week, but we're spending a lot of time. We hit a big issue. We realized that this is not an hour discussion. This is going to require, you know, three hours or eight hours, or even at times we brought in a consultant because we got stuck. Uh, but you, you've got to, we need, we need hours to talk. And, and it's most important, the question that I'm asking, we're all asking is, what is God saying? That is the most important for every meeting. And again, remember leadership is what to do next. A leader knows what to do next, why it's important, and bring in the necessary resources to bear to make that happen. But please, if you're not giving thoughtful preparation to meetings, uh, you're wasting a lot of people's time. A lot of people's time. I know I've done it well. All right, fifth and lastly is this. Uh, shortcut that is taken so often. is spending too much time preparing a sermon for others and not enough time in applying it uh, to myself. Again, great illustrations and memorable one-liners and well-crafted messages can become shortcuts. Rather than taking the more difficult route of silently marinating and soaking in a text until actually it transforms us, it's fire in our bones, we explode out. I, I, I love the Quakers. I mean, I, one of the things I love about the tradition of the Quakers is they, they really are, are focused on the Holy Spirit internally. What's he saying? The living God is speaking. What's he saying to me? And I preached two weeks ago on being uh, Jesus heals the the bent over, and, and from Luke chapter thirteen. And I can't tell you 
the hours I spent just pondering and doing Lectio Divina on that passage. And until, I mean, I, I got my own, in touch with so my own bent overness, the church's bent overness, people's bent overness. And um, again, I, I just know that when I got up there to finally speak, uh, that sermon had really changed me uh, and really had given me a, a, a lens through which to see other people in the church. And I was just praying. It was, it was wonderful. One point being made in a message, but through many, many angles. And I'll just close with this. You know, the, the truth of the biblical message is so rich. You know, I mean, it takes my breath away. I hope it does yours when you think about the fact that God has spoken and he's still speaking. And I like what Einstein, he, he once said, he goes, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are details. Now, he's referring to God's great natural and physical laws, you know, but we bring God's thoughts to people, you know, from the scriptures that are accessible in words. And, and we bring that word alive to people. Now, I don't want to put words in God's mouth, but I want to make sure it penetrates my life first. So, let, so let's make sure that we're first preaching to ourselves until it becomes fire in our bones before we bring it to other people. So let me close here for that. Next week, we'll bring uh, part two of this. But let me encourage you again to, to, get the, uh, to invest in your discipleship. And uh, we've just released the Emotionally Healthy discipleship kit for pastors and leaders. I want to encourage you to pick that up, which has, it's, you know, it's our two courses, which are lay a foundation for solid discipleship out of which our leadership flows. Uh, and we're doing live stream, stream trainings every month. I want to encourage you to get on one of those live stream trainings uh, every month. The next one's in, you know, late November. And uh, get trained, get discipled, and bring that to your people. And uh, God will take care of the rest. So God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great day. Bye-bye.